So today we're looking at Psalm 23, and uh, as I was preparing the message, it made me think a lot about um, things we're thankful for. I think a lot of times we look at Psalm 23 and we probably think of a funeral service, or we think it, we've heard it so many times that we kind of tune out the meaning of what Psalm 23 really is about. Psalm 23 is really two illustrations that are shown in the in the chapter, but oftentimes we just think of the one, the good shepherd, right, or the shepherd part. There's two illustrations that we're going to dive into today. As uh, uh, my wife told me, I, I, I apologize first because I didn't, uh, I didn't publish the event page this morning or yesterday or whenever I was doing it. It was Friday. And uh, so I had it completed. I put all that work in and didn't hit publish. So it didn't show up. So it's there now if you want to check it out. Um, I do try to, every time I preach, and this is something I'll continue to do, I try to add a, a, a devotional uh, for a few days, and I also included today a Right Now study for Psalm 23 by Matt Chandler, if you'd like to check it out. So I'd encourage you to look at that. It's under events, under the Bible app. If you go to the Bible app, you go to the More section, you'll see events, you can look at Porterfield, and you can follow along with the sermon notes um, today. Uh, the other thing that struck me before I begin my message, and it made me think about shepherding too as we talk about this, is that we had a whole bunch of fifth and sixth graders over here. Me and my wife, Shella, we teach once a month at fifth and sixth grade, and it's just a joy. It's something I think about a lot because I wanna, one of my heart is to leave a legacy behind of people following Jesus. And what a great Great, what a great age group! And there's a gr- bunch of great fifth and sixth graders right now in our youth group or in our children's ministry. That I, I just want to encourage you that if you have a chance or opportunity to invest in somebody else, whether they're young or small or older than you or even younger than you, take an opportunity to invest in somebody because it's really neat to see God uh, develop people. And it's one of the things I like about Upward uh, so much is that we have an opportunity to spend time with people. And, and spend time with kids and teach them about Jesus while we're also teaching them a sport. Uh, I think it's a great, great, tra- great opportunity for us men to get around some young people and really teach and love on them. As we go into the Lord's Supper, we're going to do this a little different. Me and Mark were talking about this, and I felt like God was leading me to, to preach on uh, Psalm 23, and he mentioned it about years ago that he uh, preached it kind of backwards. Like everything, he started from verse 6 and worked his way back. And I was like, well, I like, I like that idea. I want, to, I want to try that. Because I think the reason why we want to do that is to kind of get us off course a little bit. Because we kind of have this, we run it through our head and most of us may know it by heart. And when you know it by heart, sometimes you lose the value of it. Sometimes you lose the real meaning behind a, a verse or a passage when we know it so well. Just like John 3.16, we see it all over the place, but we don't really take the opportunity to let it dive in or dive into it and really experience the verse. So today we're going to do that. We're going to look at verse 6, part B. And this is what it says, the last part of the verse. And again, just a reminder, I'm sure most of us know this, but the reason why we have verses and, and chapters in the Bible is to help us navigate where that scripture is. It wasn't really meant to just be a, a figure of like, this has to be said this way, or at this point in this passage, it was really the Psalms or like songs or poetry that was written. So it's just a guide. It's helping us to get that pinpoint location where we know where that verse is. 
But this isn't how David wrote this. He wrote it as a full song or a full poem uh, that we need to take in. And so the first thing that we see here in part B of verse 6 is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And this is one of the most important things that we need to get across today and fully understand is that God wants us to dwell in his house. God wants to be in relationship with you and me. God wants to spend time with you and me. He wants to get to know us. He wants to build a relationship, a rapport with us. And so when David is ending his his psalm here with dwelling in the house of the Lord, this is the objective that we should all strive for. This is where we should go. This is where we should be heading is to dwell in the house of the Lord, that God wants to be with us. God wants to be amongst his people. God wants to be around your life. God wants to get to know you. And he wants you to spend time with him. It's such a great thing to know that that should be our goal. As Hebrews talks about it, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. We're in pursuit of Jesus. We're in pursuit of God. We're going after him. He's the goal. He's the prize. He's the thing that we should pursue. And so I will go on the house of the Lord and talking about eternal life forever. Forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And so as I think about this, this is not just an isolated instance that David is mentioning, we see that this is God's heart. This has always been God's heart, is for us to dwell in his presence, to be with him, not to be separated. It's not God's heart for us to be away from him. God wants us near him. God has always been the heart of God is for us to be with him at all times, not to be separated. When God designed the Garden of Eden, it was so that he could have a place to spend with man, that he could spend time with Adam and Eve. It says that he walked in the coolness of the day, that they walked together. They spent time together. They hung out. And we see that not just displayed in the Genesis, but we see that displayed in Exodus, that God didn't just want to be on the mountaintop with Moses and have the mountaintop experience with him, but God wanted to dwell among his people. So he built this tabernacle, a special tent that was constructed so that God's presence could be amongst his people. And this is what he says in Exodus chapter 29, verse 46. It says, they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that they might dwell, I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. See, God has always wanted to be close to us. God's always wanted to be a part of your life. God wants you to dwell with him. He wants you to be with him, and it's not something new. It's not just an Old Testament or an Old Testament thing. It's not just a New Testament thing. This is the consistency of God wanting us to be a part of him and with him, to be in relationship with him. God wants to hang out with you. God wants to spend time with you. And so as we keep that in mind, the things that we see even in our relationship with Christ now, that Christ sends his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit as Christians. When we accept Jesus, God sends his Spirit to live in us, to comfort us, to give us boldness, to give us strength, to help us, to guide us, to direct us, to comfort us in times of struggle. So let's look at the next part of that same verse. We're looking at the top portion of that verse. Surely goodness and love, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me 
all the days of my life. Again, going back to this relationship, and I think it's important to take notice. Some translations kind of leave out that your, but this is what it's implying. This is what it's about. It's about God's goodness. It's about God's love. It's not finding love in life. It's not finding love in, in the journey of the things that you pursue and the things you go after. It's that God's love and goodness will follow you because he's in pursuit of you. Isn't it amazing, isn't it awesome to know that God, the creator of the universe, loves you and his goodness wants to follow you the days of your life? That he is following you in a pursuit of you. He wants you. He wants you to be a part of him and with him. So David is recognizing this. He's saying, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You know, there's so many things that we go through hardships and we go through difficulty in life that sometimes we don't understand why this is happening. And we don't understand the, the things that we go through that are hard or difficult. But I can tell you from my own personal testimony that God has blessed me with not only just difficulties in my life, but God has blessed me with good things. God showed me his love and care. And he's called me out of the things. And there's been so many times in my life that I could recognize that there was my rebellion against God, that I didn't want God to be a part of my life, that caused those things to cause separation from the feelings that I had with God. In other words, my life was changed because I chose to walk away from God. I chose to not be a part of God and let him love on me and care for me like he could. The goodness and the love that he wants to show me. And so the next verse here that we look at is, is an illustration of a banquet. Like I said, so many times we get the illustration of Jesus being, or God being a shepherd, but we miss out on that there's another illustration in this passage that we need to take note of. And so in this verse of verse uh, five, part B, so the last part of verse five, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So he's talking about this joy he feels inside because uh, God is anointing his head with oil. So what does that mean? What is the illustration that's being represented here? Well, it's customary in a Jewish tradition, that in Jewish ways, that if you had a guest travel to your house and you invited them to a banquet or a feast, that you would take olive oil and anoint their head because of the dry road and the dry conditions as they traveled. Their hair would lose the, 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 the oils that were naturally in the hair. So this olive oil would be like a covering and a, a perfume scent that would be smelled, but also it would rejuvenate the skin and rejuvenate the hair to make it look glowing and shiny and presentable from being dry to being now nourished and taken care of. So he's saying, God, you have anointed my head with oil to where I'm treated as special. I'm recognized. You've taken the time to provide this, to provide hospitality and give me honor. And so David's recognizing the fact that God has brought him to a place where he can be restored and be elevated to a place of position to sit at the table at this banquet. In contrast, which I find is very interesting here, is if you look at Luke chapter 7, verse 45. Jesus has been invited to a banquet. He's invited to a dinner. But he doesn't get that treatment by the person that invited him, which is Simon. Simon invited him to come to this banquet. And yet he neglects the courtesy 
In verse 45, it says, You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with this rare perfume. So let me kind of put this in, in, in context here. So Jesus invited to this feast, this dinner, this banquet, and they have all kinds of guests in the room. So the room is full, kind of like this. You had a lot of seats. You had a lot of tables. Jesus is leaning back at the table. He's not really greeted. He's not really welcomed. There's no oil for his head after the journey. There's no really care to recognize him and, and put him in a place of, of respect. He's just trying to treat it like everybody else. And Jesus is laying back, leaning back at the table because their table's are real low. And I'm not going to get down on the floor because I probably can't get back up. But anyhow... <laughs> The, the fact is, is that Jesus wasn't treated with respect. So as he's leaning to the table, this woman comes in that's a prostitute. And she kneels down at his feet. She cries. She weeps because she has a love and respect for Jesus. She weeps so much because of her sin and the dark places that she's been in her life. But she recognizes the goodness of Jesus and she cries and she weeps and all the tears wash her feet, wash his feet and she uses her hair to dry his feet. And then she takes this precious perfume that, that's costly and she takes it and pours it over his feet. And it puts a fragrance in the room. And Jesus is saying, Simon, what respect have you shown me? What, what respect have you given me? And yet this woman here, do you see this woman? Do you see what she's doing? Do you see her heart? Do you see the love that she has for me in her heart? See, God's not going to treat us like that. Even though his son was treated like that, God's not going to treat you or me like that. Jesus is going to welcome us in and say, hey, here's some oil. I'm recognizing you. I know you've had a long journey. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to, I'm going to make you shine. I'm going to put you in a place that you can sit next to me. And I'm going to honor you. I'm going to show respect to you. And you're going to be welcomed. I'm going to show hospitality to you. Because you're an honored guest. And David's saying, this is what you've done, God. You showed me respect. You valued me. You cared for me. You put me in a place where I was on a long journey of life. And I've sinned and I've done some bad things. But you brought me to a place and you welcomed me in your home. And you put me in a place where I can sit next to you. And you've anointed my head with oil. And my cup overflows. He's saying the joy that you've given me because you showed me this. You showed me goodness. You showed me care. You showed me love. And I feel valued. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I didn't have God a part of me. And I didn't feel valued. Where the world and the life had kind of chewed me up and spit me out. But with God, I see value. I see the importance of how much God loves us. And he cares for this. And this is the same thing that David sees. David sees his God as being someone that shows respect and love. And this is the thing that Jesus did not receive when he was here upon the earth. The next part here, it says, You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so again, we go back to this idea of this great big banquet. There's lots of food. And so what's this part about the enemies? What does this mean? And we go back to this dinner that Jesus had in Luke chapter 7. Let's talk about that for a second because Jesus was not in a safe place when he came to this dinner. They were people in that audience and that dinner table 
that were going to judge him and reject him. They were looking for a way to trap him. They said if he knew who this woman was, he would cast her out. They were already in a place of judgment. He was sitting with probably some of those that would accuse him and tell them, crucify him. He wasn't sitting in a place where he was free to be safe, free to be who he was. He was on guard. But we go back to Psalm 23 here now and look at this verse where it says in part A of verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What this means is is that when you'd have a banquet, you'd make sure all your guests are safe. And you wouldn't invite somebody that's hostile to somebody else. It's a safe place. It's a place where they can be, uh, be secure, be safe, be able to be themselves. And so many times in the world, we think we have to be so right, but God's saying, come as you are. And then God works inside of us to be different. You don't have to be somebody that you're not when you come to God. You have to be who you are and let God work in your life. And so God's welcoming us and inviting us and an invitation to come and be a part of his table. And he leaves all the enemies outside so they can't be a part of this meal. So that you can be safe and that you can be secure. That all your attackers can't get to you. And that's what we find in the contrast. Jesus did not receive that. But here David is saying God provided this for him. And he's also telling us that God provides this for us all. A table at a banquet that we're invited to. That we can find safety and security from our enemies that we can be honored and respected and valued for who we are. And that God can help us. God can be there to guide us as we look at next. So probably one of the most popular or most famous parts of this psalm is the shadow of death. Now in the NIV, which is what I used, it doesn't say that. It says darkness, darkest valley, but it means the same thing. A lot of times we've heard the shadow of death. In verse 4, part A, even though I walk through the darkest valley or the shadow of death, and we'll continue on here in a second, but, you know, we've all, we will all, because of sin in the world, because of my own consequences of my sin, because of the consequences of sins that others have committed, I mean, you, most of you know my testimony. My dad was abusive. And so I have not only, my dad had to face consequences for his actions and spend time in prison, but I've been affected by the consequences of my dad doing things and, and, and seeing him act in the way he did things with his life. I had to face those consequences with him, even though it wasn't my sin. So sin affects us all. And just like David's story, we see that his sin affected many people. So sin destroys. It causes these dark valleys in our life. It's not that God wants us ultimately to go through these shadows of death or these dark valleys. But these things have happened because we live in a sinful world where sin has happened and sin has occurred. And we have disease because of our sin. Not just my sin, but all of our sin together has caused us to live in a fallen world where it's not perfect. This is not the way God designed it. And through this journey of life, I'm going to face darkness. Maybe because of things I've done. Maybe it's because of things that somebody else did. But we all face the consequences of the sin that's there. Whether it's mine or it's yours. We live in a fallen world. Because we've all at some point have been selfish. 
And we've done things we wanted to do rather than what God wanted to do. But here's the thing. The courage and the love and the faithfulness of God is to say, even though you go through those darkest valleys, even though you go through the shadow of death even, what does David say here? He says, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is the thing we should take notice of. And let me explain what a shepherd has. He has these two things. I'm sure probably most of us have heard this, but let me explain it again anyhow. The rod was to use as a weapon in case an animal that was out there, that a wild animal came up against the shepherd or the sheep, the shepherd would have something in his hand to defend the sheep or defend himself. The staff would have that hook to guide the sheep, to help pull the sheep to safety if they needed it. It was a guide. It was a direction. It was a, a thing that was led, used to lead the sheep in the right way. So he's saying, I'm not going to fear any valley or any shadow of death because I know you are with me. Your rod, your protection is there for me. And also your staff will guide me. So I know that you will protect me and you will guide me. And so he's saying that I trust you, Lord. I trust you because of your great protection and your great guidance and love for me that you're going to lead me in the right direction of my life, that you love me and you care for me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Again, going back to the relationship of the matter is that God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to get to know you personally. He wants to spend time with you. And David knows this, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff are with me. They comfort me. Psalm 23, verse 3, part B. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. So again, going back to the staff, that it's a guide for us. He wants to guide us. A lot of times we get hung up on why does God want his name to be recognized? And selfishly, we can be like, well, why does, God, why does God need to put his name above all the names? Why does God want his name elevated for his namesake? What, what does that really mean? And you got to think about it. The reason why God wants his name elevated is because when his name is elevated, people will come to him. And that's what they need. We need God. And so to have God to be the centerpiece, he has to be lifted up so people recognize that he is the centerpiece. And you think about it, when, when, when you know, I, for some reason, when I thought about the plagues of Egypt and when there were all those things going down with Pharaoh and, and thinking about all those things that were happening, all these plagues that were occurring, I was like, well, that's great for the Jewish people to recognize how good God is and how powerful God is. And that's not just who that was for, for. And I thought, well, it's great for the Egyptians. It's great for them to know the power of God and for them to uh, free the slaves so they can be out of there. But that's not just what that was for. The plagues weren't just for the Egyptians. It wasn't just for the Hebrews. It was for the whole world to know that God was real, that God was above any other created God that there ever could be. And then you think about that too. Look at the Old Testament. Even look at now how we... We lift up things of creation and we start worshiping creation more than we do the creator. 
the Old Testament, they would often take an animal and create it and make it into whatever God they wanted. And they would start bowing down to this idol. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah chapter 46 where he, God's saying, basically, this is the Eric version, what are you guys doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You make it, you hire a goldsmith, you make it into this animal, you bow down to it, you worship it, you cry out to it, but it just stands there. It's just a, a thing. And you worship it, you cry out to it, and it's not going to move. It's not going to come rescue you. It's not going to come help you. You're worshiping this tangible God that you created by some goldsmith, and you think that's a God. When I am the God, and my purpose will stand. So what he's saying is, is saying, why are you worshiping things and images I've created when I am the God, I am the way, I am the truth? I am the great I am. So when, when God, when we lift up the name of Jesus, even as Christians, we are bringing people close to God. When I, God has chosen us to be his witnesses, to show who God is. And so our light, the love that we have, when he guides us on the right path, when he takes us places, it's for him to be able to say, okay, I'm doing something mighty through this person's life and help come to me so I can be with you, so I can be your friend and be your God. And then you can dwell with me. So in verse 2 and 3, we hear this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. There's a lot of things we could dive into here, but the main thing I want to get across to you is that God cares deeply about your life. And isn't it so interesting? He goes into details here of, of what it is to be a sheep under the care of God. And an interesting thing, too, is it's not always things we want. As you think about that verse there, it starts out, he says, he makes me lie down. That there's times where God will have you rest or maybe do things you don't want to because he's trying to get you to a place that's better. If we go back to the uh, Hebrew people being led out of Egypt, they were belly acres, right? Because they wanted to go back and be a slave because they were so worried about the journey and being in the wilderness. But God had this promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a prosperous place that God wanted to lead them. It was that green pasture that it's listed here. And David's saying, you take me to places sometimes I don't want to go and you make me lie down in places I don't want to be sometimes because of your great love for me. In other words, God cares about your life so much that he wants to be invested in you. He's willing to invest time and energy into your life because he cares about you. Let's look at that again. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leaves me beside quiet waters. He, re he refreshes my soul. God wants to actively be a part of your life. He cares for you. He deeply cares for each one of us. And it's so interesting. We're, we're reading one psalm here, but we're seeing the heart of God played out in this psalm. That God deeply wants to be in relationship with you. And he doesn't want, he wants to hear uh, the, the jokes that you tell. He wants to hear the, the stories that you talk about. He wants to be ingrained in your life. As a shepherd, 
He wants to be there to guide you, to direct you, to refresh your soul. The next verse here is the last one. It's not the last one I'll share, but it's the last one in Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You think about a shepherd. A shepherd is a leader. A shepherd goes out in front of his sheep. The sheep follow behind. The shepherd looks back, but he uses his voice. The sheep know his voice, and he calls out to his sheep, and he leads them. And I think about my life. Am I allowing God to take leadership of my life? And it's interesting, too, the fact that here we, you know, God always repeats things throughout the scriptures, right? Whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, he keeps sharing the same theme. It's so interesting. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, but what, he, you know, what we should take notice of really is the fact that he tells his disciples what? We all know this probably. He tells them to follow me. Repeatedly, he tells them to follow me. When he calls them out, he says, come, follow me. When, when Peter says at the end, he's like, well, what about, what's going to happen with John? What's gonna, what are you going to do with John there? Is he going to die? And, and Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. The question is really, do we need a shepherd in our life? The question is, are you allowing Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life? Is he the leader? Is he the shepherd in your life? Are you trying to to lead yourself? Are you trying to make your own decisions in life? Are you trying to choose all the things that you want to do in your life? Or are you allowing, are you being led by the good shepherd? Are you being led by God? Is God leading your life? And what does it say at the end of this? It says, if you allow him to be Lord of your life, then you really lack nothing. Why is that? Does that mean you'll you'll never be poor? Does that mean you'll never have hardships? No, what it means is when you allow Jesus or God to be the source of your life, you don't have to worry about anything else because God's got it. God will take care of it. That your joy is complete when you're in relationship with your God. You lack nothing because the very thing you need is God. And so no matter what you face, this goes back to Philippians, where where Philippians uh, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But in that context, what Paul is saying is not, I, I can't just go out there and do whatever I want. It's all in the context, whatever situation I face, if you look at verse 12, it's about whatever situation I face, I'm content in knowing that God is my shepherd that God is Lord, that I can do all things through Christ because it's him that is my strength. It is, it's his power that I have the ability to persevere. So Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And we see that play out in John chapter 10, verse 11, which I'd encourage us all to look at John chapter 10. It's a really good chapter to follow along with this message. Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays lays down his life for his sheep. So Jesus is willing to lay down his life for each one of us. And he did. See, the great thing is we don't, even though the God is not tangible, right? I can't just go up right now and give God a big hug. 
I can't hold his hand. I can't use my eyes to really see him right now. But everything he's done, just like the wind, you can't prove, you know, you can only see the effects of the wind. Every effect that God has done has showed us that he's real, that he shows us that he's there. I mean, even you think about all the universe, you can't, you just, there's no way to explain it. Atheists can't explain the, the beginnings of life. There's there, something there that's not just material. There's spiritual things that are going on. But Jesus demonstrates the physical by living, coming down here upon earth, laying down his life, dying for each one of us. He displays that he's real, that he's who God sent. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, when God says there's no way to the Father except through him, he's saying to all of us that he is real. And that Jesus really died for our sins. And so while I can't hold on to God, while I can't hug God, while I can't hold his hand and see him with my own eyes right now, I know by the things I've seen in my own life, by the things I've seen in my uh, relatives' lives, by the people I've seen and encountered in the life of ministry, uh, I've seen God. And I am a witness to the effects and the change that God has done in my own life. So he is the good shepherd. Jesus wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. And all the things that you face in this life, he wants to be the leader in your life. I think there's really two questions from this message I want to pose, and I got a little story I want to share. Um, The first question, are you going to accept the invitation to this great banquet? God is inviting you to be a part of his great banquet. It's a place where you can dwell forever in his house. It's a place where you are welcomed in, you're honored, you're respected, you're valued, you're cared about. You don't have to worry about all your enemies. God is creating a safe and secure place for you. The other question is, are we going to let God be our shepherd to guide us, direct us, be a part of our life, to lead us in places maybe we don't want to go, but we trust him. And we feel secure because we know his rod and his staff is always there. The story that was written in the Daily Bread, it says this. It says, the early American Indians had a unique practice of training young braves. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting, scouting, and fishing skills, he was put into one final test. He was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. Until then, he had never been away from his security of his family or the tribe. But one night, on this night, he was blindfolded and taken several miles away. When he took off the blindfold, he was in the middle of a thick of the thick woods and was terrified. Every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. After what seemed like an eternity, dawn broke, and the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. Looking around, the boys saw flowers, trees, and the outline of the path. 
Then, to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a barrow and an arrow. It was his father. He had been there all night long. This is what our Heavenly Father is like. Sometimes in this life, you may feel alone. You may feel scared. Maybe this life has torn you apart. Maybe you've been through some really bad things. God loves you. You may not always see him there or hear his voice, but he is there watching you, caring for you. He wants to get to know you because he loves you. And he's invited you to a great banquet, a great feast, where you can be there and be in his house and dwell forever. He's also saying, let me be your leader. Let me shepherd you. Let me guide you, protect you, watch over you, care for you. This is the God I know. This is the Jesus that I've accepted years ago when I was nine years old. The same God I rededicated my life to in my teenage years when I started rebelling against God. This God has made it evident that he's pursuing me. And I believe it's not just me. He's pursuing all of us. A lot of times we get too busy, we get too distracted, we go our own separate way, we want to be our own leader, and then we don't really want to follow. And we don't care about the invitation. God cares for each one of us. And as we close with prayer and go into a time of communion, I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, to accept him as Lord and Savior of your life to accept the invitation to the banquet and say, I want to be with you, God. I want to accept your son. I want you to be Lord and leader and shepherd of my life. Dearly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for the love that you show each one of us. Thank you for making a difference in my life, Lord. You changed me. Lord, as I mentioned, I can't hold on to you right now, but there will be one day One day, you'll wipe away the tears from my eyes that are filled with joy because I'm in the presence of you. I'm in your house, and I'm able to dwell in the house forever. Thank you for being shepherd of my life, and forgive me where I disobey you. Help me not to lead myself, but to follow you, to seek after you. And Lord, thank you so much for coming and demonstrating who you are through your son, Jesus Christ. What a great example. Even though he didn't get treated the best, even though he wasn't welcomed really at the banquet or at the dinner table, he still showed us mercy. He lived a life representing you all the way, perfect in every sense of the word, and laid down his life for all of us on a cross on Calvary. With his death, he atoned for all of our sin. And with his resurrection from the death, he showed us a way that we could live forever with you. 
thank you so much for all that you do. In your wonderful name I pray, Jesus. Amen.